Explorable is a podcast about travel, disability, and inclusion. I'm Josh Loebner, Director of Strategy at Design Sensory. I'm co-host Toby Willis, Senior Product Manager for Inclusive Technology and President of the Ability Inclusion Movement at Expedia Group. We're both blind. And we love everything travel. This is Explorable. We interview experts, advocates, and allies of tourism, destinations, and disability to make each journey more explorable. Hey, everybody, this is Josh Loebner. I'm joined by co-host Toby Willis. Before we get started, Toby, how are you doing? Hey, Josh, I'm doing all right. Happy to be here recording another session with you and looking forward to diving in with our guest. On Explorable, we explore so many different aspects of accessibility and inclusion when it comes to travel and tourism. One of the first places that people explore really isn't in the physical space, it's digitally. They want to find out not only where they are, but how to get to different destinations. We have an amazing guest today, Sasha Blair Goldenson. He's a software engineer at Google, and he has an amazing story to share, not only about his his personal connection to disability, but also how that translated into some amazing innovations with Google Maps. Welcome to the show, Sasha. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Toby. It is a pleasure to be here. So, Sasha, let's just dive in. Your your personal story and your recent accessibility initiatives at Google uh, are amazing. And we'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal story and some of those initiatives at Google that you've been able to spearhead. So I was a computer scientist. I actually ended up going to graduate school in computer science, finished with a PhD from Columbia University, and I started working at Google full-time then as a, as a software engineer. And my uh, specialty, what I, what I did my dissertation on, was the way that computers and algorithms handle human language which is to say the kind of programs that translate English to French or the kind of things that are used for, for voice recognition. Or in particular, in my case, it was to try to do intelligent or at least semi-intelligent things in understanding the meaning of text. For instance, text that expresses opinions. How could we say, in general, what are people saying? And it turned out it was kind of interesting for products. So you could say, do people like this new Chevy Malibu? And, and you would find sort of interesting things like, it turns out that small or even tiny was a really good thing for a phone, but a really bad thing for the backseat of a car. Or these kind of subtle things that humans know, but, but to teach a computer in, in a rule-based way were tricky. But it turned out that one of the most useful things to do with opinions had to do with reviews and particularly reviews of local places like, say, restaurants. I ended up working with the MAPS team. Quite suddenly, in the summer of 2009, almost 12 years ago now, I was, it was a, a regular morning, I was on my way to the subway to go to work, but that day I never got to work because as I was walking through Central Park, a giant tree branch, a rotten branch, fell on my head and injured me incredibly gravely, nearly killed me. After that one instant of incalculably terrible luck, I had many, many good things fall in place for me that I'd be here right now talking to you guys. But eventually, I did get back to my job, to my, my life, such as it, as it was and as I could at Google being a software engineer. But now, I had to learn how to get around in a wheelchair. 
And as with so many things, you don't know till you know. It took a while to get back to work, but I started working again very, very part-time. And you know, I started getting back to those original things that I had been working on, the reviews and so forth. But more and more, as I started getting around more independently, I started to learn how many obstacles there are for what's a real disability. I mean, paraplegia, it's not nothing. But you come to realize you can do an awful lot on wheels. But there are some little things totally that would have escaped me before that are actually very big and get overlooked. And I came to realize we were not letting people know about on maps. So I would start to talk to friends that I work with and say, yeah, you know, these maps, we do all these really cool things. And But wouldn't it be cool if maps could tell you before you get there, does it have a wheelchair accessible entrance? And actually, even before you get there, you got to go there. And so to be able to say, uh, is there a wheelchair accessible bus route or a subway route? So I began just sort of to tell people about it casually as it occurred to me, just kind of recruit allies, not in an organized way, but you know, they're just, there were some other people with disabilities, people in their families who had had these thoughts before, or, and we sort of had a ragtag bunch of people getting into this and, you know, these things take a while, but, but we moved forward, moved forward and, uh, and gosh, now it's a dozen years later and, and we've made a lot of progress. Yeah, that's great, Sasha. And thanks for sharing your personal story. My disability came on to, gradually, my, my sight loss, but it's it's been an, an eye-opening experience, if you'll pardon the pun, just learning and accepting you know what we have before us and leveraging the opportunity that our experience brings. And I think in the travel sector, there's so much opportunity to help us travel more independently. For our listeners who tend to be businesses who are looking to start or grow their disability journey, from your personal experience as a wheelchair user, what sort of questions are you asking, You know, whether it be a museum or a restaurant or a destination, hotel? What sort of things are you asking before you travel? And how did those questions influence your approach to using the, the Google Maps platform to, to solve for some of those challenges? Agreed. It's a learning experience and you have to accept your own disability. And just as you say, Toby, it's, it's a constant journey of learning. And, and I always am still, and we all are. So I have my sort of mental checklist that I go through before I go somewhere. But there's always things that you forget. And or more and more as I've done this, I've been in this world of accessibility and disability, I learn from, from other people. Just because I find something easy or hard, I mean, duh, it doesn't, doesn't mean that someone else will. But I'll say my own personal list I'm from speaking with other wheelchair users, the biggest one, two for a, for a place that you go is physical access into the facility, into the, into the door. So if it's typically a, a restaurant, a, a bar, a museum, can you get into the door and can you go to the bathroom? These are human needs. And just knowing before you go is very, very valuable and can save everyone frustration. And I've never found that people are trying, you know, business owners, anybody's trying to hide this information or make it difficult for people to find out. The biggest thing is awareness. You can't build it until you know that it, it's needed. A big part of getting it into, into maps and you know, all the billions of users that, that use Google Maps all the time is not just functionality. It's not only for, for, for me or for Josh or for you or, or someone who's going somewhere, either using a wheelchair or with someone for that person to be able to look it up, but for, for everyone else who might not be, the, the business owner, the, the person who's you know, planning a party for their, their team at work, whatever, for them to just kind of see it in a corner and for it to become normalized. I mean, the, the best thing we could achieve would be to not be needed anymore. So when it becomes the case that, oh, of course, we, we would never build an entrance that's, that's not 
accessible to everyone, we would, of course, we're going to make sure the bathroom is. When it becomes the thing that places feel the need to, to tell people when that's not the case, then, then we'll have succeeded and we can go on and work on other things. Yeah, I've heard it said that information sharing is half the battle. And I think with the size and, and scope of Google Maps, it's a it's such a great opportunity to, to get that information out there. But it's sort of a push and pull. You depend on those tour operators or, or venue owners to publish that information, to make that information available so that it can be published more widely. One thing that I try to make sure is to help, help people understand that it's not threatening. It's not, I'm going to catch you not doing this, or, or you're going to get punished if you don't do it, or you have to do it the right way. But that, you know, we're in it together. And I think that, that really is the mentality that makes progress. And it's absolutely a win-win situation. And so you don't have to have the perfect ramp, the perfect bathroom, but let's, let's work together. Let's find a way. And that's been a really interesting thing when I've gotten to travel now in a wheelchair outside the U.S. That in some places that don't have the Americans with Disabilities Act that, that mandates compliance, which is a real privilege and a, and a gift to have that in the U.S., but it does... The, the downside, I think, is that some people, especially in this country, there can be a feeling of fear or that they're being forced to do it or that the, the punishment for not doing it is, is so intimidating. Oh, am I, I going to get fired? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get fined? Whereas I found it in, in other places that I've been to. So, for instance, I was in, in Spain. You know, it's not a dictated law, but it, it felt much more of like a community effort that we'll get you in there somehow. We'll, we'll make it work. As opposed to the, seeing, you know, literally fear in the eyes of an employee who sees me coming and feels like, oh no, I'm, I've done something wrong. So sort of getting that, that kind of mind shift that people with disabilities, that we're just like everyone else. We just do things a little bit differently and let's, let's find a way to do it together. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, I want to know more about that. How do you think we change that punitive stigma to, to a more inclusive mindset where it's, you know, the, the ramp may be too steep to meet ADA compliance, but having the ramp available to those who can use it and sharing that out is important. So how do we how do we make that paradigm shift from, you know, punitive compliance driven to more inclusion oriented information sharing? It, it's delicate because I want to be very clear and say it's not there's that ADA is great. Like the the idea of having an official like it has to be 12 to 1 because if it's any steeper that can be really hard to push up and in fact impossible and it, and it makes a big difference in whether a place is someplace that's really welcoming to people with disabilities to people and again this is just one kind of disability right this is mobility chair users but whether it's welcoming and you can go there independently when there's no one else around and do it sort of safely and easily versus like yeah, you can do it but but you're going to have to get like a find a, a strong person to give you a push and you're not very independent. It's not great, but it's so much better than, than not being able to get in at all. And the idea that we're in it together, you know, the person who trying, who put down that you know, piece of plywood to make it work for today, great. I'll come inside with you. You'll give me a push and then we can talk about what, what would be an ideal ramp. But let's not let the, let the perfect be the enemy of the good here. It's as much as possible when cities on the whole, the areas on a whole are, are disability friendly, then we're out there to be seen. When more people know more people with disabilities, it's not like, oh my gosh, I never thought about this. It's like, oh yeah, that guy who I always see in the neighborhood, I should probably put down a ramp because it'll let him come in. And uh, that guy who's always, uh, you know, that woman who's always taking her kids to school here, she might want to come to this place to, to get ice cream. Visibility begets awareness, which begets inclusion. I love Google Maps and I've loved them from day one. Uh, to be able to just almost see this this curtain of, of what our world has to offer, either 
literally across the globe and just me as an information junkie to look at maps in countries that I've never been to, to also discovering places, you know, in my own community. And the ways that you can do that are just so immersive. But Sasha, let's rewind the story before this was with Google Maps. How did you as somebody new to disability new to your wheelchair, what was it, it like? Maybe if you would be open to sharing a couple of those challenges in your localized journeys that helped spur on this initiative for you internally with the Google team. So I would say it has to do with that visibility question we were just talking about where I hadn't seen that many people with visible disabilities. And I want to distinguish that visible disabilities, which is to say someone who's in a wheelchair, you can see them. And I, I wasn't even on my mind that there are a lot of invisible disabilities out there. You know, there's a lot of people who are deaf or hard of hearing, a lot of people with cognitive impairments. But anyway, not having seen that many people with disabilities around, it didn't occur to me that we were being excluded in this very subtle way. One of my mentors in this area, a man named Sid Walensky, was the, the founder of Disability Rights, co-founder of Disability Rights Advocates, a great law firm out of Berkeley that's worked with us on the, the subway accessibility issue. But Sid said to me, Sasha, if you go to a city and you don't see anyone in a wheelchair there, it doesn't mean they're not there. It means they're stuck. They're at home, they're in the hospital, they can't get out, and they're not around. The way the city is built on the whole can be inclusive. It's pervasive. It's not just one particular bar has steps, but it's is the pavement smooth? Are, are the curb cuts in good order? Is the transit? These things build on one another. So I, I remember I mentioned this trip to Spain that I took, and I was in a town called Vitoria. And in Vitoria, I started to see a lot of people with wheelchairs around, like a lot. And I was like, huh, is there a convention or some special event? And But I came to realize that this town in Spain, it seemed like they had got the memo. Just everything just worked a little better and it came together to mean that people were just way more visible. And of course, I'm looking for it more because now now that I'm a wheelchair user. But I think it's that, that sort of ubiquity and the, the everydayness of it. That, that's really you know, what, what we're going for. And I think if that had been the case, so, so getting back to how I realized, it's that I realized that being in New York, I didn't realize that there are plenty of wheelchair users here. You don't generally see us because as a person who can handle stairs, who is able to walk into the subway every day, I thought, oh, that's just people with wheelchairs. I just didn't think like that they were being excluded. I just thought that they don't use the subway, I guess, or if I had ever thought of it, which I never did, I don't think. And in my personal case, even before that, it was when I went took a trip to Boston, and I think it was about four years, maybe after my after my accident. That was one of the first independent trips I took. And I, someone said, oh, you can meet me over at, a friend said, meet me over at Harvard Yard. You can take the T there, the, the Boston subway. And I said, oh, I, Jenny, I can't take the subway. I'm, I use a wheelchair. He's just like, no, I think they have elevators at most stations. And I, I remember literally going down to the station and saying, wow, this is possible? Like, and, and asking the, the attendant, saying, do, do all the stations have this? I said, yeah, pretty much. Oh, there's like one at the end of the line where it's a little tricky, but, but pretty much. And it was a real awakening for me. And once the awareness shifts, it can be powerful. Sasha, your story about Boston reminded me of my first trip as a blind person. I was using a white cane at the time. I have a guide dog now, which is a much different experience. But I recall going to Verona, Italy, and there were tactile strips in the train station where you could follow with your cane. There was braille signage and even the museums had backlighted tactile representations of the art. I just remember being so wowed by my ability to participate as a traveler. I've traveled a, a great deal in, in New York and the city. 
both with a white cane and with a guide dog and it's not that easy to get around so i'm i imagine as a wheelchair user you talked a little bit about uh, your experience in the city and the subway and stuff but wondering if you know what it's like on a day-to-day basis getting around and I'm, I'm i know that's influenced your work with the maps and just wondering if you have stories about that experience i think what's made me both a fierce critic but also a strong believer in is that I, I, I was born here, I grew up here, and I lived my first 33 years as a blissfully unaware, fully able-bodied person and not having any accessibility needs that I, and not really being aware of them. And then suddenly at the drop of a hat, you think, oh man, there's all this exclusion that's being hidden in plain sight. And there's so many things that could be easy, but just aren't because of oversights and, and lack of representation. You know, in New York, it's, it's a very, very dense, things are close together, it's, it's pretty flat, so it like should be so good. But yet, it turns out, no, because this primary way to get around the subway, which is the way to get around the city, is miserably inaccessible in terms of stair-free access, let alone people who need announcements to be audible, people who are are blind or low vision. It's not good on that. You name the disability, it just hasn't been thought through. But But it can be done. And I guess since I know how good and how enabling it can be to be able to take the subway like people who who don't have disabilities it makes me want to fight for it all the more because the dissonance is so stark when you start to realize like this simple trip from from my house on 77th street to my work at 15th street i should just be able to hop on the number one subway right here get down there one shot get off the train and you know be be down there like you know i'm snapping my fingers and wait you can't do it because nobody's installed an elevator or even a ramp down these 15 feet of stairs in 2021, more than 30 years after ADA, in this city that runs on elevators where every darn building up and down West End Avenue has at least two elevators that go up and down every day, 14, 15 floors, and and everybody expects it and needs it. And it's just, of course we have that. And we can't as a, as a giant city that has full of billionaires and millionaires, we can't have a single elevator going down to these stations that goes up and down one floor. What? And that I never thought of it before this happened to me. No idea. So I'm the last person to say, how come nobody else knows that's for shame? But it's more, let's get the word out that this is, this is a solvable problem. And it's not just for wheelchairs, as discussed. That, so that's the, the motto of our activism group that I co-founded with some, some friends and we're still... We're still at the barricades. Elevators are for everyone. And it's just that simple awareness that wheelchairs are the most visible in a way that are kept out. But caregivers with strollers, travelers with heavy luggage, delivery people with heavy carts, anyone with anything, it's so needed and and would make such a big difference. And we can do it. We have the technology. It's just a matter of of prioritization. An activist friend who I think is so smart said, Sasha, you know, a budget is a moral document. A budget is just a list of priorities. So let's switch up these priorities. Let's say inclusion and safety for everyone is at the top. Instead of, you know, some GWIS features, more USB ports, more fancy tiles, more tap and pay. I was sure tap and pay is cool, but tap and pay never let somebody get on the subway who otherwise would be stuck out in the rain. Sasha, I want to pivot the conversation back to Google Maps. And if you could maybe just share a little bit about some numbers. Google Maps is a global product and it's accessed by millions of people on a regular basis, but are there any numbers associated with your portion of the project, the accessibility information that that you have any data that you could bring to light for our listeners? There have been three big launches in the disability inclusion accessibility space over the last years, which have been 2018 was the 
wheelchair accessible transit routes. So when you look up a, a transit direction, so when you look on Google Maps, and this can be on the, on the app on your phone or else on the web and in a browser, and when you're looking up directions from, from my apartment to the museum or from wherever to wherever, and you can select your mode of transit. And it can be, uh, right now, the modes are walking, driving, and public transit. Those are the main ones. And sometimes there's also a two-wheeler mode, like a bike mode. But if you choose the public transit one, it will give you routes that are generally buses and trains. And within that, there's an option where you can select various things, including wheelchair accessible. At the first launch, it was six cities. Now it's more than 20. We're planning to, to put out an updated list, uh, but it's, again, always growing. But in many cities now worldwide, you can click that button, wheelchair accessible, and it will make sure that the trip starts, ends, and proceeds through a wheelchair accessible, stair-free route. In 2019, we launched DVG, Detailed Voice Guidance, which means when you're using your walking directions, if you turn that on, you just get extra assurance. And it was aimed in particular for people with visual impairments, so the blind and low vision community. It's also pretty good if, say, you're a tourist and you just want a little extra assurance. Wait, am I going the right way? Or, you know, it's a real curb cut, as we like to say in the business. It's named after those curb ramps at intersections that are often legislated for wheelchair users but help anyone with stuff on wheels. And so the detailed voice guidance for, for blind or low vision users, it just means that instead of saying walk 800 yards and then going silent all of a sudden, along the way it will say something like, you're proceeding on the right way, you're approaching a large intersection, you have a left turn coming up, or things like that to sort of give you extra assurance. The third one that we launched last May was the Accessible Places launch, and that was the one that tells you in a much more prominent way when you look on maps at an establishment you're planning to go to, a restaurant, cafe, what have you. It puts a little wheelchair icon next to it if the entrance is confirmed to be accessible. And then when you look at it, it also lists uh, up to four features, whether they're accessible or not. So the entrance, the restroom, the seating, and the parking. And that data comes from a mix of three different sources. But the source that I think is the coolest are local guides, which are an awesome community of more than 100 million people worldwide who are contributors to, to Google Maps. And it can be very small thing, you know, it can be somebody just put in a cool photo of the place, you know, this is my favorite restaurant for getting Europa Vieja, but it can also be somebody who submitted, you know, 500 reviews of all their favorite Cuban restaurants around the city and the whole Northeast. But these local guides aren't only in, in New York, they're worldwide, which is so cool. So that helps us get really good coverage of places around the world, and they can tell us things of all, all kinds. Does it have outdoor seating? Is it dog friendly? Is it wheelchair accessible? They are such a cool community. We, so we built the platform, but they run with it. So they used like this kind of message board that we set up for local guides and they've sort of organized. So they organized like a accessibility focused group of local guides who sort of do their own meetups around the world and just try to you know, spread the word about accessibility in say Nigeria or Sri Lanka or Argentina or wherever. They're, they're, they're just, they're awesome. Can you talk about those other two sources of data? We get great data from business owners. So the, the business owner has can claim a business on maps and there's a application called Google My Business, GMB, and then they can put various bits of official information there like the business hours and the menu and what forms of payment they accept and these accessibility attributes. So is it wheelchair accessible, entrance, restroom, seating and parking? And also they can say whether their place has a hearing loop, uh, which is a special kind of radio transmitter that transmits to hearing aids that have this thing called T-coil. 
basically it exists in some kind of, it's I think most frequently in performance spaces, like uh, auditoriums and movie theaters. But anyway, hearing groups is, is the first non-mobility type accessibility feature that we, we've added in there and we're hoping to put more in there. So if you're a business owner listening, a tour operator, a DMO, claim your business on Google Maps and upload those uh, those accessibility features. So that that's two sources. And the third one is kind of like a ground truth information, which is to say that kind of background information, like sometimes you notice patterns, like say Starbucks, like if, if something's in the Starbucks chain, you can guarantee it's going to have a wheelchair accessible entrance and restroom because that's just their policy. So this is the, the machine learning piece that we can notice these patterns. And it's the same kind of rules of thumb that, that, that people have in their minds. They say, oh yeah, Starbucks is always good. But we have algorithms that implement that. So between what regular people say, the business owners tell us, and the patterns that we recognize that say a certain chain or a certain city or a certain neighborhood seems to have certain accessibility profiles from all that combining those three things that the people the businesses and the patterns you can come out with more and more high coverage information so you know before you go that's great to hear i like the triangulation effect so that you really know that this hopefully is solid information and and that those places that you see on google maps that claim it to be accessible hopefully are and, and I should say that it's highly accurate, but things go wrong things, and conditions on the ground can change. So there, there's also a, a feature in there where you can click something to report a problem. You know, operators are standing by. Literally, there are, we have a, you know, teams that are constantly on top of that. And when there are changes, they make them very quickly so it's reflective and we want to be as, as accurate as possible. That's great. It's been uh, such a pleasure talking to you, Sasha, and learning more about Google Maps. What's on your horizon? What is the next big thing? You know, with Google Maps accessibility or, or beyond Google Maps even? The things that I'm really excited about are these three features for accessibility, the accessible transit places and detailed voice guidance. They already exist and they work really well, but improving them in little ways. The biggest one is availability. So they're not all available in every language in every country yet. And scaling that up and, and making it not just for everyone of all abilities, but you know worldwide, right? So right now, for instance, the accessible places feature, you can use that in the US, uh, Great Britain, Australia, and Japan. So that's on the horizon. And we basically wanted to make sure it was working first. And you know, there were not any pickups uh, or you know, iron out any wrinkles, and then also uh, increase the coverage so that when people turn it on, it's sufficient that they can find places that are accessible. And it's not just suddenly, oh, we don't know about anything, because that wouldn't be very helpful. So we're, we're getting there. And I'm hopeful, I won't name a date, that in the uh, not too distant future, we'll be rolling it out to more regions and eventually worldwide anywhere you can go on Google Maps. And also for, for transit, for transit, it's a little bit trickier because that doesn't use uh, only user contributed data. It actually uses the transit agency of every region and city. And there's a, a special file format that the transit agencies are good at and are getting increasingly good at, at submitting to places like Google Maps because they know that it may be a pain to put together this this file and get all their, their schedules and stuff in there. But once they do that, then they don't have to build their own transit app. You can just use Google Maps or uh, map, mapping software of your choice and it will just work. That's great to hear. I appreciate that there are uh, objectives moving forward, that the, the job isn't complete, that you're continuing to evolve Google Maps in a way that continues to, to welcome mobility disability and, and so many other disabilities and everyone that Google Maps is a pathway to get from point A to point B in a wonderful way and uh, an intuitive way. So Sasha Blair Goldenson, 
Thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, This has been an Explorable podcast. Hopefully we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much. Explorable is a Design Century original production in collaboration with the Travelability Summit and produced by Brad Carpenter. Find out more about our productions, podcasts, and insights at designcentury.com slash originals and travelabilitysummit.com. You can connect with Josh Loebner or myself, Toby Willis, on LinkedIn.